and rich in love. I think that's a phrase worth memorizing. I think the reason we see it popping up so many times in the Old Testament is because it's something that they cherish. It's something that they carried with them. And it's something, ironically, that Jonah uh, had a problem with. And we'll get to that in just a moment. Jonah had a problem with God's compassion. Uh, But may we continue to rejoice in that. Would you pray with me? God, we love you. We thank you for your grace and compassion. And God, we know that we are people who are still a work in progress. And we pray that you would have your way in our hearts and in our souls today. As we open your word, God, would you transform us? Would you sanctify us by your truth? Your word is truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we've been going through the book of Jonah here at Cornerstone. It's a pretty short book. It only took us about a month to go through. Uh, But the theme of the book has been that God loves people so much, even wicked people so much, that he goes to great lengths to save them. Now you could look at this theme in two different ways in the book of Jonah. The first one is by looking at the life of Jonah himself, that Jonah was rebellious. Jonah had a problem with God and he ran away from God, but God loved Jonah so much that he was willing to deal with Jonah, to deal with his sin, to deal with his rebellion and his wickedness. And then also God showed his great love for the wicked Ninevites. Nineveh was a terrible, horrible place, but yet God wanted to show his grace and his compassion to them too. And all throughout the book of Jonah, one thing that I told you early on that we always had to remember was that God wanted his message to get to Nineveh. All, all through Jonah's disobedience, all through that time of Jonah going the other way, we always had to remember God wanted his message to get to Nineveh eventually. And remember, Nineveh was a very wicked city, located in the evil empire of Assyria. And if you were to do a historical study and ask the question, what was the most wicked, brutal empire ever? I'm not necessarily saying that Assyria would win that discussion, but I'm saying that it would be part of the discussion. You would at least have to include Assyria in that. The horrible, terrible things that they were doing uh, just set them apart, even historically, from other wicked empires. They They were a terrible, wicked people. And perhaps you can see then why Jonah didn't really want to go there with a message of God's love. These were enemies of Israel, enemies of Jonah. And and Jonah, maybe we can understand at least a little bit of what was going on in his mind, didn't want to go there. So he, he disobeyed and went the opposite direction. But through that ordeal with the great fish, I'm sure you know the story, swallowed him, kept him for three days, spit him out onto dry land, and by the time he got out of the fish... He was ready to hear the word of God again, and this time he obeyed, and he went to Nineveh. And Jonah rightly proclaimed in chapter 3, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. And as I mentioned, that word overturned can have two meanings. It can mean for hearts to be overturned and changed, but it can also mean destroyed. And that's what Jonah was hoping, at least that's what it looks like. He was hoping that God was going to send down fire and brimstone on the city of Nineveh. But instead, something miraculous happened. We learned about that in chapter 3. One of the most amazing miracles in the entire Old Testament, this wicked, wicked city, upon hearing apparently a very short message from one of God's prophets, repented. And God saw what they did, and he relented from bringing disaster on them. Jonah wasn't such a big fan of all of that. In fact, it says in 4.1, Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. Now, I've mentioned before that in the book of Jonah, we see two main categories of sin from Jonah. The first was his disobedience. 
And God dealt with that. So Jonah went the wrong way. God sent the fish. And eventually through that process, Jonah's disobedience was turned into obedience and he went the right way. So that first sin, taken care of. The second one, though, remains through the entire book of Jonah. And that second sin was the sin of Jonah's bad attitude toward the people of Nineveh. He did not want them to receive grace and compassion from God. Now, one of the really interesting things to me about the book of Jonah, there's lots of really interesting things, but one of them to me is that the book of Jonah could have just ended after chapter 3. Look what happened in chapter 3. Jonah finally got to Nineveh. He gave the message. The people repented. God saw their repentance, was pleased, and didn't bring on them the disaster that he had threatened. There could have just been a big hooray at the end of chapter 3, and we could have been done with the entire book. There's just one problem with that, though. Jonah still had a bad attitude, and you know what? God wanted to help him with that. God had some more work to do on wicked, rebellious people, and this time it was in the heart of his own prophet, Jonah. So God, in chapter 4, in his mercy, had a conversation with Jonah to help him through this process. God didn't have to do this, but he wanted to. Now let me talk to you parents for a little bit. And kids, I want your help on this too, okay? You kids, pay attention. Parents, have you ever been in a disagreement with one of your children telling them that they should do something and your child doesn't do it and there's some back and forth? Oh, Johnny, you've been in one of those situations? Okay, tell me all about it later, okay? Um, now, parents, have you ever been in this situation and you just yell out those famous words, because I said so? Kids, raise your hand if your parents have ever said, my kids should raise their hands because they've heard it from me. Okay. We've all done it, parents, right? Uh, because I said so. Now, on the one hand, kids, let me say something to you. For, I'm going to talk to your parents later, but kids, it is, it's okay for your parents to say that. You know why? Because God has put your parents in control. And if your parents tell you to do something, you should do it just because they say so. Okay? That's, it's, it's actually kind of okay for parents to do that. But, but now let me talk to the parents. Parents, we should bring it a step further, shouldn't we? Even though it might be legitimate for us to simply say, because I said so, we should also teach and train our children why they should be doing those things. Good parents raise their children up in the training and instruction of the Lord. We don't just tell them what to do. We don't just care about their actions. We care about what's going on in their hearts. So we want to talk to our children about what's going on in their hearts and teach them why we're asking them to do the things that we should do. And if we don't have a good reason for telling them to do it, then maybe we shouldn't tell them to do it, right? But I think that this is what we see happening in chapter 4. So far, basically, it's just kind of been a because-I-told-you-so sort of thing between God and Jonah. But in chapter 4, God shows his heart to Jonah and teaches him the why behind all of these things. There were some unresolved issues in Jonah's life, and in chapter 4, God deals them with them. And we're going to look at three of these issues in Jonah's life. And if we're honest with ourselves, I think they're issues that we all have from time to time as well. So first I'm going to read Jonah 4 and then we're going to walk through those three issues. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O oh Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? 
Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I am angry enough to die. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Okay, so the first issue here is a couple of questions. Will God show grace to the wicked? And if God does show grace to the wicked, what about justice? Does justice just go out the window when God decides to be gracious? Is it that God contradicts himself when he shows grace to the wicked and he just forgets to be a just God? Now it's interesting how many of us, every one of us, I would say, has a sense of justice inside of us. Now think about how this plays out every day in our lives. Let's say uh, somebody borrows your pen and accidentally forgets to give it back. What do you say? Hey, give me my pen back. What are you, what are you doing? Come on, that's my pen. Maybe we say it more nicely than that because we're Minnesotans and we're nice, but um, let's ratchet it up a thousand notches or so. Let's say we're watching something on the news about human trafficking. What goes on in your heart or in your soul when you see little kids taken away from their families and forced to do terrible, awful things? It, it's horrible, right? And, and it's amazing to me, even non-Christians understand that one. We see these horrible things going on in the news, and every one of us says, that is not right. Something should be done about it. Or make it a little more personal for me. Let's say I'm playing noon ball at the YMCA, and somebody follows me, and we're supposed to call our own fouls, and, and somebody doesn't call their foul on me, and I get upset, and I, you know, I'm, I'm working on that one. Okay, I'm a work in progress, but uh, there is a sense of justice that when something happens wrong, we want justice to be served. Now, don't get me wrong. I think that that can be a good thing. In fact, I think it's part of the image of God in us. So Maybe I'll say that next time at the Y when I get mad. For, no, I'm not going to say I'm just mad because God is a just God. No, I, that doesn't really work. Um, but I think that this justice is actually part of the image of God in us. God is a just God, and when something is wrong, there's a sense of us that wants there to be punishment that wants that wrong to be righted. So I think that when Jonah was thinking about the wicked Ninevites, and remember, they were awful, he wanted them to be punished for their crimes. See, that's what justice is. Justice means you get what you deserve for the things that you have done wrong. But what about grace? The simple definition of grace is not to get what you deserve and instead to get the gift of forgiveness. That's kind of combining the ideas of mercy and grace, but it, to be shown mercy and grace from God means not to get what you deserve. And you know what? God is the author of grace, and he loves to show grace. He deeply desires to be reconciled to the people that have gone astray from him. That is his heart for this world, is that even though they are wicked, he wants the wicked back. Now, up until this point in the story, Jonah has been at an impasse with God over this very topic of God's grace. 
and 4.2 says it will. And I mean, the, the more I look at this, the more I have to chuckle at chapter 4, verse 2, where Jonah says, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. He's like, God, I knew you were just going to forgive him anyways, so what's the point of me going? I just want him to burn, and you're going to forgive him, so that's why I went, God. That's why I went the other way. Jonah wanted punishment. God wanted to show grace. And in this sense, God's grace is scandalous. And I, I don't use that word lightly. And let's think of it in a more modern situation. Think about Adolf Hitler. What does Adolf Hitler deserve for the crimes that he committed? By, by many accounts, killed 11 million people. What does Adolf Hitler deserve? Would any of us be sad for him if he got punished? Any of you ever shed a tear over Adolf Hitler thinking about, oh boy, just... <laughs> no, if, if most of you are like me, you kind of think, you know what? He really should get punished for what he did. And God is the judge, and God knows what to do with him, and we're kind of glad about that, aren't we? And again, I think there's something right about that. It's part of the image of God in us to want justice. But what if, on the last day of his life, unbeknownst to anybody, Adolf Hitler repented and said, God, I'm really sorry for all those wicked things that I did and God forgave him. How does that sit with you right now, the idea of Adolf Hitler potentially getting forgiveness? I think that's kind of what we were dealing with here in, in Jonah's day. Remember that the terrible, awful things that we see on the news every day are things that were going on multiple times in Nineveh. Should God show them grace? What if God forgives the wicked? See, again, God's grace is scandalous. And you know what? That's good news for us. Because what if, what if we were entered into this conversation about how God should punish the wicked? What if we were to go to God and say, God, you know, you've seen everything, all the wicked things that all the wicked people have ever done, and God, I think that you should punish them. How would that conversation go for us? Not very well. God could get out his book and say, well, okay, look at what you did. Here and here and there and the list goes on and on and on for us praise the Lord that he loves to show grace right the Bible says it really well in Romans 3.23 and 6.23 if you do not have these verses memorized I would encourage you to memorize them Romans 3.23 and 6.23 the first one says for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and then Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death every one of us has sinned Every one of us has earned a death penalty. That's what, that's what we have earned. If we talk about what we deserve before God, that's what we deserve, is death. Eternal separation from God in hell. That is what we deserve. So what if God punished us with the full weight of our sins? But again, praise the Lord. He is the God of compassion and grace and abounding love. That's why those passages that Brian mentioned, there's ten of them, at least ten of them, in the Old Testament. And it was this repeating refrain for the people of Israel as they thought about their desperate need for forgiveness. And it's interesting, as you read those passages, sometimes it, it comes out that they had done some really awful things and God could have wiped them out, but instead he responded with grace. And that's good news for us because we are people who desperately need that grace from God. 
So what about justice? Well, the answer is that God would rather forgive than punish. We can put that up there. God would rather forgive than punish. That is just part of who he is. That is his character. No, don't get me wrong. Uh, in one of those verses, I, I sent out an email with those ten Old Testament verses, and one of them, if you read the very next verse, it says, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. So yes, he is still the God of judgment and justice, but he would rather forgive. Second Peter 3.9 in the New Testament says it this way, He, the Lord, is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. See, Jonah didn't want his enemies to get grace, but you know what? That stands in stark contrast to Jesus, who does want his enemies to get grace. That's why Jesus Christ died on the cross, for the sins of wicked people like those Ninevites, and for the sins of wicked people like you and me. Because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And every single one of us, I want you to hear this, every single one of us needs what happened on the cross of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, our sin penalty remains on us. In his mercy, God sent Jesus so that if we call out to Jesus, if we confess our sins, and if we give our hearts to him, God will cleanse us, forgive us, and give us eternal life. That is his offer of grace to all of us wicked sinners. And praise the Lord for it. We had all chosen our own way. God rescued us. Now it's interesting, this, this theme of grace, at least three times recently, like I'm talking very recently, I've been in conversations with people or, or read something about people, uh, non-Christians, looking at the message of grace in Christianity and scoffing at it and saying, come on, don't you realize that we have to make our own way? Don't you realize that if we have done something wrong, we need to make it up to God? the message of Christianity is that we can't make it up to God and that the only way that we can make it to God is because God in his mercy came down to us. It's the message of grace and it's still a scandal today. It's a scandal as we meet non-Christians who assume that they need to earn their way to God. It's a scandal as we look at wicked people and know that God loves them more than we do. But praise the Lord for that scandal because it's because of that scandal of grace that we can be saved. We can't make it to God on our own. We need his grace. And God loved to show that grace. Even if Jonah didn't want to show that grace to Nineveh, God wanted to show that grace. So did Jonah learn that lesson? doesn't quite look like it yet. So let's go on to the second point here. Jonah was in process. And so are we. God didn't call Jonah because he thought that Jonah was a perfect prophet. I think God knew all about Jonah's weaknesses and failings. But Jonah was in process, and so are we. Jonah was a roller coaster of emotions. Do any of you uh, live with a roller coaster of emotions? Uh, and I'm not talking about your spouse, I'm talking about you. Um, do any of you just go up and... Look at verse 1. Uh, you could translate verse 1 to say that Jonah was angry with a great anger. But then in verse 6, God provided a little bit of shade for Jonah, and you could translate it that he rejoiced with great joy. A little bit of shade turns this great anger into great joy. And then in verse 8, the shade was taken away, and Jonah was so angry again that he wanted to die. Many times in this chapter, Jonah told about his anger and his desire to die. Why? Why did Jonah want to die? Because God is gracious. Oh, what? 
what? Isn't this, doesn't it sound ridiculous when you say it that way? But that's exactly it. Jonah wanted to die because he realized that there was a, a huge difference between God's grace and his own grace. And Jonah was still kind of fuming about his enemies and still fuming about this shade that was taken from him. Now, there's some pretty strong irony. In chapter 2, Jonah prayed to be saved, but now here in chapter 4, verse 3, he prayed to die. Although at least we can say one good thing about Jonah here. At least he prayed. And I'm serious about that. Sometimes all we have is negativity. But at least if we can get ourselves to get our focus up to God and go to prayer, then God can change us. And I think, I think that's kind of what we see happening in chapter 4 here. Jonah, just in the raw emotion that he had, went to God. And you know what? God can handle our raw emotion. And if you're feeling those, you know, like everything is terrible in life, God may be the last person that you want to talk to, but he really is the first person you should talk to. And if all you have is negativity, just tell him. He can handle it. He, let, me, let me assure you of this. God will not stop being God if you tell him that you're angry. Okay? He can handle it. We are better off going up to him and letting him change our hearts. And I think what we see in chapter 4 is this conversation between God and Jonah where God had some important work to do. And the important work was not simply to make Jonah comfortable. If that's all that God wanted to do, he could have let that shade keep on being shade. But God had something more important to do, some heart work to do in the heart of Jonah. So it says in verse 7 that God provided or appointed a worm to chew the vine. In verse 8, he provided or appointed the scorching east wind. The word provided is the exact same word for how God provided the fish in chapter 1 and for how God provided the shade in chapter 4. So think of that. Four times in the book of Jonah, we see that God provided something. Two times, it was something that that brought great joy to Jonah. The other two times, not so much brought discomfort to Jonah. How does that make you feel that sometimes God provides things that bring you discomfort? Is that wrong of God? To, I mean, it kind of feels wrong to say it that way, but I don't think it is. God has more important things to do in our lives than simply to give us comfort. And some of the things that he provides in your life were not intended to bring you comfort, but to bring you closer to Christ. So we need to have that perspective on things. We need to have that humility to understand that God wants to bring us through a process and some of the things that he provides are exactly for that purpose. The vine brought shade and perhaps Jonah praised God for it. But then the worm caused the vine to wither and you can see Jonah starting, hey, that's my shade, what are you doing there? And then this scorching hot east wind came. And and in February in Minnesota, doesn't that just sound awful, a scorching hot east wind? Uh, Well, I read about this wind. There's a wind today called the Sirocco in that part of the world. And it's a wind that is known to bring dramatic temperature increases. And it can easily lead to heat exhaustion and can therefore bring about delirium. So I I really think that Jonah was suffering here. This wasn't just him being a baby and crying about things. This was was serious. But the point of these things was that God provided them so that Jonah could think about things from God's perspective. 
Jonah didn't create the vine, but boy was he upset when it withered. And, and God wanted Jonah, I think, to see Nineveh in that light. And, and we're going to get back to that in my next point, but for now what I want to move on to is this idea that we are all in process. None of us has reached the finish line yet, right? I'm still waiting for Garland to get there, but uh, even Garland is not there, right? So, uh, you know, that, that makes me understand that it's not going to happen for me yet either. So, sorry Garland if that's a bummer in your day, but uh, we're all still in process. God wants to bring us through a process in which we become more like Christ. That is God's heart for us, that we would become more like Christ. That's why God is a God of compassion for us. That's why God wanted to bring Jonah through this conversation where he could teach him more about himself. That's why God allows things into our lives sometimes, things that might seem difficult or burdensome. Jonah still had this terrible attitude toward Nineveh. God wanted him to learn. And the best response from Jonah would have been a response of repentance. The best thing would have been for Jonah to say, God, I am sorry. I know that you are a God of grace and compassion, and I have not acted in grace or compassion towards the people of Nineveh. I'm sorry, God. Forgive me for my hard-heartedness towards them. That would have been the best thing for Jonah to do. And the best thing for us any time that we become aware of our sin is to confess immediately. I've asked this question before in the past few weeks. I want to ask it again. How good are you at repenting? When you see something wrong in your heart, how good, how quick are you to repent? And just to say, God, I was wrong. You are always right. Forgive me and help me. And in that sense, the things that God provides into our lives, whether they're things that bring joy or things that bring discomfort, are meant to teach us and to train us to become more like Jesus. So in humility, we should be praying things like this, God, help me to learn from the things that you allow, from the things that you provide into my life. Are you going through something right now? Maybe you just need to to look at it from that perspective. Instead of the perspective of, hey, where'd my shade go? To look at it from the perspective of, God, are you trying to teach me something in the midst of this? It's difficult, But this is what God wants for us. And and if we're still in process, then it makes sense that God would bring us through a process of making us more like Christ. And let's look at Christ's words. How does that happen in our lives? In John 17, 17, this is another verse that you might want to memorize. Jesus is praying to the Father for his disciples and, and for all who would believe in him. That includes us. He prayed, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify just means make holy means to be brought along a process in which we become more like Christ. So Jesus said, God, would you make that happen in them? Through your word, which is truth. So we should be people who get to know God's word. Think about that. If you go back to Jonah 1.1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go. So this is how I like to say it to kids, and actually I think it's really great for adults too. God said go, and Jonah said no. That's what went wrong right away. And what what specifically did Jonah say no to? The word of God. May we be humble people who submit to God's word, who seek God regularly, even daily. Seek God in his word. Seek him in prayer 
and not just that time of the day that we have set aside to say these are my devotions I think that seeking God and meditating on his word means throughout our day even when our Bible isn't in front of us to be thinking about what God's word says and to be humble before him and to listen to him it means that somebody gives us an instruction we don't we don't respond you know, right back and well hey you need to work on this we humbly listen to them and see if there's anything from it in God from God May our hearts be overturned. The people in Nineveh, their hearts were overturned. May our hearts be overturned as we daily submit to the word of God. So did Jonah get it? Uh, if you've seen the VeggieTales video, I'm just curious, how many have seen the VeggieTales Jonah video? Okay, maybe you could sing the song with me. Jonah was a prophet, but he never really got it. Yeah. Um, did Jonah ever get it? Well, where we're left at the end of Jonah is you'd have to look at him at that moment and say, well, he still didn't get it. But I have an educated guess here, and I call it an educated guess because it's something that one of my seminary professors tried to help us learn. Um, it has to do with this idea of what happened to Jonah after this instance. Because we, all we see is Jonah in Nineveh here at the end of the book. But Nineveh was about 500 miles from Jerusalem. And I think that Jonah... Perhaps it was on his way back, that 500-mile journey back to Israel. Maybe he would start to think, oh, yeah, huh. God showed grace to those wicked people, and God showed grace to me, too. I was wicked and rebellious. I ran away from God's word, and he showed me grace. And I was really glad when God showed me grace. And, and by the way, when God shows us grace, we never are angry about it, right? <laughs> So maybe Jonah was thinking, God showed me grace, and it's that same grace from the same God that was shown to the people of Nineveh. And you know what? Maybe the people of Israel need to hear about this grace of God, too. So this is just an opinion of mine. Like I said, it's kind of an educated opinion, at least a little bit. But I think that the reason that we have this Jonah story is because Jonah learned from his mistakes, and he's the one who told this story about God's grace and compassion and abounding love. I'm not sure about that, but uh, I think it makes sense to think that Jonah was changed in this process. It took a while, and sometimes it takes us a while. But let's move on to the third point that has to do with God's compassion. God had compassion, so should we. Let's reread verses 10 and 11. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Jonah was concerned for that vine. The word can also mean pity or compassion. So if Jonah had compassion for that vine, which he didn't make, shouldn't God have compassion for the people of Nineveh, whom he did make? As I've alluded to before, we humans love it when we see God's grace to us, but not always when we see it for other people. So should God just be gracious to us and not to others? Well, no, of course not. Uh, or let's think of it this way. Should God just give grace to the people who deserve it? It's a ridiculous question because grace, by its definition, is something that we don't deserve. You see, God doesn't look down from heaven and pluck out the worthy people and save them. He showed his grace to sinners like you and me. 
That's what his grace means. That is God's compassion. That's who he is. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. Jonah knew that. Jonah had probably been taught that since he was a little boy, that the Lord is gracious and compassionate. God was pleased to show compassion. Jonah wasn't. But like I said before, Jonah was in process and so are we. And I think it's really cool that what we see in chapter 4 then is God simply dealing with Jonah. He was done dealing with the Ninevites, but Jonah still had some work left to do. And God walked through that with him. So I want you to know, please hear me on this, God has compassion for you as you stumble along. And, And for me too. God knows that we're not done. God has lots and lots of good things that he wants to finish in our lives. And he is patient with us to walk through with those things with us. That's who God is. Why is God like that? Because he's the God of grace. And we learn something about his heart from verse 11. God, in looking at the wicked Ninevites, saw them as people who couldn't tell their right hand from their left. Now, I did a little experiment with my kids this week. I was actually really amazed at, at how they... I didn't think they'd get it, and I don't think they really got it. I, I tested them, asking them the question repeatedly, which hand is your right hand? So we started with Anna, and um, the first time she answered it, she just raised this hand right away. I'm like, really? You, you know which hand is your right hand? I think she was just guessing, but then every other time I asked her, she raised this hand. But uh, I know that she doesn't know which hand is her right hand because I played Twister with her, and she is just all over the place. And... Uh, but you know what? It's okay. She's three, and it, she'll learn. And, but, but then I asked Lydia. Lydia's my five-year-old, and uh, every time I asked Lydia, she knew what it was, too. And I played Twister with her, too, and she is really beginning to understand which hand is her right hand. Uh, I also have a baby, or a one-year-old in my house, Timothy. I think that he's still learning what a hand is, and that you're not supposed to eat it. But, um, <laughs> but then let's think about, you know, uh, I've got a second grader. Or you think about, like, a fifth grader. And if, a, if one of them doesn't know which hand is their right hand, what would we say? Something's wrong, right? We, we, at the very least, we would say they need to be taught. They, they, that's a life lesson that everybody needs to know, and they should know it, like, right now. Something was wrong with the people of Nineveh. It wasn't just a matter of looking at their hands and not knowing which was which. It was a matter of something being off in their moral compass. And what did God say? Did God just look at them and say, oh, they should be destroyed and wiped out? No, he wanted to teach them which hand was their right hand. That was God's grace and compassion for them. And amazingly, they learned their lesson. In chapter 3, we see them repenting. And we learn something about God here because one of the great questions in life, and it's just not just us who ask it, it's everybody who asks this, why does God allow evil? You ever heard that question? I just heard somebody the other day calling it the atheist trump card. That if you're ever in an argument, hopefully it's not an argument, if you're ever in a discussion with an atheist and they don't know what to say, they're just going to pull out that trump card and say, why does God allow evil? What's our answer? Well, I'm not going to give you the full answer right here, right now, because we don't have time for that. But I want to give you one part of it that shows you an amazing part of God's heart. The answer is that God gives evil people time to repent. God could wipe away evil right now. But in his compassion, he would rather give evil people time to repent. That's why evil still exists, at least in part. In part. 
in his grace God offers salvation for the wicked who will repent and that is what God wants so if that's how God views wicked people how should we view them well I think that we should view them as people who could receive Jesus Christ by faith because of God's grace sometimes we might look at them and say oh let's keep our distance from them but you know what maybe we should do something else maybe we should pray for them Maybe we should see if God would have us talk to them. It didn't take much from Jonah, by the way. All we have of him is five words in Hebrew that that he gave to the people of Nineveh, and they repented. Maybe God would have us say five words to a wicked person someday, and that, that they might repent. But I think that we need to train ourselves to see them a little bit different. They're wicked because they don't know their right hand from their left, and they should be taught. That was God's compassion on the people of Nineveh. That should be our heart for the people around us who don't yet know Jesus. You see, one of the reasons that God has left us here is so that we could have those kinds of conversations with people. All the way back in Genesis 12, we learned that God wanted his people to be a blessing to the nations. And that's what he wants for us right now, for us to be a blessing to the nations. Throughout this Jonah series, I've given you the challenge to share the gospel with lost people and to invite them to come to church with you. And uh, I told the people in Sunday school this already, but I'll say it again. Uh, I'm going to extend that challenge by just a little bit to the end of your life. So uh, That's just the way that we should view the people around us, as people that God wants to bring through a process. We're in process. God wants to bring them through a process too. God has compassion on them, and so should we. We need a better perspective on this. Sometimes, I'm, this might hit some people the wrong way, and, and maybe God intends it that way. Sometimes we get so, consu- excuse me, so concerned about our shade that we forget about the people all around us. Here's Jonah sitting and thinking about a little vine plant. And he's really concerned about it to the point where he wants to die. And God says, look at the people of Nineveh, 120,000 of them. And a bunch of cattle, too, which I don't quite understand why that made it in there, but it's in there. So um, sometimes we get so concerned about our shade. What gives us shade? Our house. Maybe we get so concerned about our house. Maybe we get so concerned about our job or some relationships that we forget to think about the people that God has compassion on and that he wants us to show compassion to. the way the book of Jonah is set up is so that the final question for Jonah was this question of compassion. And I think it's the question for us. We know that God has compassion for the people around us. Do you? Then here's the conclusion. God cared for everyone in the book of Jonah. And he cares for you too. Think about all the people that God showed care for. The the pagan sailors that were about to die in a storm, he rescued them. Jonah, who was disobedient and rebellious, yet God saved him. And the people of Nineveh, who were wicked, and God showed his grace and compassion to them. And then in chapter 4, God walks through this process with Jonah. He's willing to walk through a process with us as well. You see, God wants to transform us from the inside out. He wants to make us more like Christ. That is the goal of what the Bible teaches. The goal for our lives is that we would become more like Christ and God wants to bring us through that process right now. So wherever you're coming from, whether you have been running from God, is there anybody in here who's been running from God? 
Or maybe you've just been ignoring God a little bit too much. Are any of you there right now where you've just kind of gone about your own life thinking about your own shade too much, forgetting to think about the things that are important to God? Or maybe you're walking really closely with God right now, but I want you to know, wherever you're coming from, God wants to do wonderful heart surgery on all of us to transform us, to make us more like Christ. God proves it by showing his compassion and grace to us. He proved it by sending Jesus to the cross. So let's keep our eyes on Jesus. And when we sin, let's repent. We see wonderful pictures of that in Jonah. When we sin, let's repent. Uh, let's view the loss the way that God wants us to. I think that's kind of the point of chapter 4. One of the points, at least, is that we should see the lost people around us with compassion like God does. And then also, another application, God's word. Jonah disobeyed it. And how did it go for Jonah when he disobeyed? Not well at all. Our best life is the life where we constantly seek God in his word and let him transform us from the inside out. God has wonderful plans for our lives Let's let him do his wonderful work of transformation in us. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you that you have grace and compassion for sinners like us. God, we're just grateful that even though you could have wiped us out as wicked rebels, that you showed love to us, that you rescue us through Jesus. So thank you, Jesus, for coming and dying on the cross, taking our sin penalty upon yourself. And Jesus, we are sorry for that. We confess to you that it was our sin that you died for. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for your love and compassion. God, I pray that we would be people who show your love and compassion to other people as well. Teach us to see the people around us the way that you want to, the way that you want us to. Help us to love them, Share your gospel with them. God, we give our hearts to you so that you can do your wonderful work of transformation in us. Thank you for your patience for us and again, your grace and your compassion and your abounding love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.